after an insane week of sports pretty crazy for mid-july to have this much action but the cfl was roaring and we got pretty much the best weekend of canadian football we've had in a long time patrick what are your initial thoughts the cfl is is the it thing right now in sports i would say baseball's kind of hit that mid-season lull yeah where it's uh after the all-star break right before the the battle for the playoffs so the cfl is just delivering week in and week out at this point it's not a fluke, uh, as you can see, because we had multiple games with just crazy finishes this week. And just overall, the CFL is full of chaos, and chaos creates entertainment, great entertainment value. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, things started a bit slower. We had Hamilton, Edmonton on the Thursday night. Edmonton was still looking for their first win of the season. It's been a bit of a sludge for them, and Thursday night didn't go any better. Hamilton came out. And pretty much kind of dominated the game for most of the game. Uh, it didn't really seem like the Elks had much of a chance. They were able to recover the opening kickoff, which gave them a bit of juice. Um, but other than that, uh, Hamilton pretty much covered everything in this game. They covered the first half line, the second half line, the game line. They hit the over. Uh, they kind of needed a game like this to get back and get right. And it seems like the Elks is that game for pretty much every team right now. Yeah, and funny enough, I actually bet on Edmonton in this game. I thought this was a good spot. They looked all right the week before against Saskatchewan obviously blowing that that win and now against Hamilton a team that's still missing Bo Levi Mitchell Matthew Schiltz is still kind of a unproven project you might say in the CFL so I thought this was a decent spot at home for Edmonton to win and it was going like okay it was kind of a boring game that first half and then uh Taylor Cornelius threw that first interception and it was just a bad one and they took it back to the house and that's kind of when I knew it was all over for Edmonton. Yeah, it gave us the chance to get a great Dustin Nielsen uh, sound clip. The what is happening? What is he doing? He throws it away. It's picked up and brought back by Captain Thomas. Touchdown, Hamilton. What is happening? And that was able to get uh, some good uh, clips out of that game. But, yeah, other than this, uh, not some great performances really on either side. You had James Butler, the running back for Hamilton, who had a pretty great game, 14 carries for 127. Uh, and a touchdown. His longest was a 37-yard run. They're kind of trying to still establish themselves, what type of team they are, what identity they have in this Eastern Conference, Um, especially with what we'll get to later, the Red Blacks getting a huge win. It kind of put some pressure on them even before that happened, but um, with both of them getting wins, it was a big week for the East. Yeah, Hamilton has to win these these games. You said it before. It's a get-right game against Edmonton, and they did. Like Matthew Schiltz, he didn't do anything crazy, but he, he was efficient. He was 10 of 17 for 184 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. So, like, that's that's a clean game for Schultz. Obviously, Hamilton didn't have to throw the ball that much considering they were in the lead for the majority of the second half. But Edmonton's now kind of – they're figuring themselves out. I think they're finding an identity a little bit as a team, uh, just kind of running the ball a lot on offense. And Edmonton, I mean, they just – the questions continue especially at the quarterback position. Yeah, it was a bit of a crazy game in that sense. Like, just that crazy pick six to start things off. You know, the team just doesn't seem to have any identity at the quarterback position. It just seems like a plug-and-play system where whoever's ready that week is getting the shot. We have Chris Jones giving out pretty wild quotes being uh, or saying that Trey Ford uh, should play better if he wants to get a chance Uh, at starting I don't know where Trey Ford is supposed to play better in that sense maybe for the second practice roster and he's supposed to be really showing out in practice but it seems like things have really come to a halt between not only the fans um, but the media in Edmonton figuring out what the hell is going on Edmonton's a mess right now easily the biggest mess in the CFL for the time being I saw Trey Ford with his helmet on on the sidelines I thought it was it was his moment our moment for him but no, the the Elks have gone with Jarrett Daggy instead, who was actually pretty good. I mean, he was 14 of 21, 201 yards, and a touchdown in relief of Taylor Cornelius. Obviously, having to throw the ball a ton, being down that much. But I mean, I don't know if this is the answer long term. Obviously, Taylor Cornelius is not their quarterback of the future. So I think this should open up a quarterback battle between Jarrett Daggy and Trey Ford. 
and almost treat it as like it's a preseason game. Maybe let Jared Daigie start the first half and then let Trey Ford come in the second half, kind of see who performs better because you're 0-6. Get some spark in yeah. the room, yeah. 0-6, get new life into this team. Maybe they'll rally behind a new quarterback. Yeah. Like You can't get lower than where they are right now, so I think they should just bench Cornelius for arguably the rest of the season unless more injuries come come down the line. But for now, I think it should be a wide-open quarterback battle between Daggy and Ford. Yeah, and I think that, listen, the next three games for the Elks is just an absolute gauntlet. They play on Thursday night against Winnipeg this week, uh, and then they go next sat- the Saturday after that against BC, and then they get a bye and then play Winnipeg again. So they're playing pretty much you know, two of the best teams in the CFL for the next three games you're obviously not going into those games with a ton of faith that you're going to win them. But what better time then to really give at least your fans something to watch, right? Like you are at the point of completely alienating one of the strongest fan bases in the entire CFL. Commonwealth looked like a pretty like a joke against Hamilton. And that was like an Oakland Athletics situation. It's not that the fans are, you know, just not coming or buying these tickets. It's that season ticket holders and people who normally buy these tickets are choosing to not go to the games on purpose. Yeah, they're also giving away free tickets with any hotel uh, reservation in downtown Edmonton, it looks like. So they just really want anyone that they can get their hands on in that building, the stadium. It's uh... And you have that fan base. Like, you have that existing fan base, and they are not, like, really— I know you can't always listen to your fan base. You can't listen to the Joe from the bridge about who should be starting center. But at a certain sense, you have to give— this is entertainment at the end of the day, and you have to give your fans something to be entertained about. Absolutely. Chris Jones, I mean, I'm sure he is arguably one of the most hated men in Edmonton by the fans at this point. And you got to wonder, this is one of the more, the more failed experiments as a coach GM. No kidding. In one of those tenures because he hasn't really been successful in either facet of his positions. Yeah, it's... They seem to just be all over the place. They signed two American wide receivers, Jalen Hall and Zane Pope, and then 48 hours later release them. Like It just seems that they have no um, synergy between their management and their coaching and their players. I think that you know the owner, Victor Kui, has been making all sorts of quotes about that they trust Jones. We find out that Cornelius has 100K guaranteed next year. It's just pretty much everything you don't want about a football team all wrapped into one. So the Elks are just a mess right now. Not much to really uh, dwell on that, but we'll move to the Friday night game, which was the best game of the year so far pretty much, which was only to be upstaged by the two after it. Uh, but the Argos went to Montreal to take on the Alouettes. We had talked a bit last week about this being a possible letdown spot for the Argos. And in a lot of ways, despite getting a 35-27 win, I think that it still kind of was a bit of a letdown spot for the Argos. I think they played down to the Alouettes and got into a complete dogfight with them where they didn't really have to. Uh, the big story of this game was obviously a zillion penalties for the Argos, and then they still came out on top. This was a really weird game in a lot of senses. Reminded me a lot of the BC game in a way where first half you're you're tied you're down they were down in this instance tied against bc they're down at half so you it showed a lot of fight and i think a lot of character of this argos team that they're willing to kind of fight in the second half and make the adjustments necessary in these games yeah whether that's uh dinwiddie the the players themselves adjustments are being made and the correct ones uh to be to be to be exact because like they dominated them in the second half. They scored a, it was twenty seven point twenty eight points sorry in the second half to Montreal's seventeen after they were down ten seven in the first half. So just for this team to just continue to fight and not give up, knock it down themselves, and just to avoid these letdown spots that we keep thinking that they might find themselves in. I'm very impressed with what I've seen from this Argos team. Yeah, they started out the game so hot, they get a touchdown on their first drive, and I honestly thought the game was going to blow open. I had bet on 
Argos race to 30. Argos win by 13 to 17 because that was really the direction that I thought this game was going. And credit to the Montreal defense. They made things tough in the first quarter. They were really making Kelly uncomfortable in the pocket. But just to that credit of that offense, they really found a way in the second half. Kelly finishes 21 for 25 with 351 and three throwing touchdowns and one rushing touchdown. He had a bit of a silly interception in the first, but after that, it was just lights out. And a lot of that is just, like you said, kind of a showing of what the identity of this Argos team is. They're able to stay undefeated, and they're building a bit of a brand right now. I think that teams in the CFL are starting to get scared when they see Toronto on the schedule, and that's the way it should be. It's so impressive how they're able to not only have success in the air with Chad Kelly listed his stats, but they run the ball so well, too, with A.J. Ulat and, of course, Andrew Harris as well. Ulat, 14 carries, 95 yards. Uh, Harris chipped in, averaging seven yards a carry on three carries as well. It's just so impressive when you can do both on on offense because it makes you so threatening, right? You can get the play action going. They don't know whether you're going to run it or throw it because you're dangerous in both. And it just keeps every team on their toes. And there's really not – I think that's kind of the staple of an elite team in the CFL because if you look around in the league, it's you're either really good uh, rushing the ball or you're only kind of a – standard offense where you're just sitting in the pocket and throwing it a couple teams can do both and those teams have found themselves at the top of the standing so far in the CFL season it's a good observation and it's one that we kind of talked about going into this game was that the Alouettes were having trouble getting William Steinbeck going and he was kind of the motor that made this team tough to play against last year he would just mow down defenses and this was another game where he had a tough time getting things going he had 12 carries for 53 yards his longest was only 10 yards and he averaged four and a half we had talked about that like averaging five and a half yards being a problem and it and it ended up being a problem for them in this game Cody Fajardo was all right he went 26 for 36 281 for three TDs had those two interceptions so like you said those teams that can pass and run it's just tough for defenses to stay up with that for a whole game that was where the Argos defense was really to able to gain leverage they had that kind of quizzical running play in the in their last drive they ran it on first and 10 and killed a bunch of time I think they were hoping for standback to really get going there and yeah the teams that can't do it end up falling back in these kind of games where it's neck and neck the Argos defense is just I I know 27 points actually it's not even I would say it's kind of average-ish in the CFL for an offense to put up, but just the two interceptions once again. And it's not the same name every week. It's it's someone different. Someone's going to step up, make a big play on defense. And it's just, I'm like, this Argos team, I, I haven't been watching for like a long period of time in the CFL. I'm a rather new uh, observer of the league. But this Argos team, like compared to last year, which won the Grey Cup, they look a lot better as just a complete cohesive unit and i'm i'm very gotta be scary yeah for for another week in a row we look at the pff top graded players and chad kelly is for two weeks in a row the top rated pff player of the week with a 93.4 and again they the argos had a member of their team they, they had three guys in this top three um one of them being a qb the other being the receiver david unger the third uh, who had two touchdowns, and then Robertson Daniel finds his way on there again. So you have two offensive players, a defensive player being amongst the highest-graded players of the week. Again, this was just another kind of statement game for the Argos and creating that brand of being scary to play against. Um, but not to be upshadowed or upstaged, uh, but they were the game after Winnipeg and Ottawa on the Saturday. Winnipeg travels to TD Field to take on the Red Blacks. This was a game that Pretty much no one had the Red Blacks being in, including us. We talked about it beforehand. They had so many questions at quarterback. Was Dustin Crum going to be able to do this? Was he going to be able to lead this team? And this was a game of two halves. We had Winnipeg leading 18-0 after the second quarter, 18-3 at half, and 25-6 heading into the fourth quarter. And Patrick, Dustin Crum took over this game. Dustin Crum legacy legacy game. I it started off as legacy drive, and then he somehow upstaged himself in overtime. It was very impressive. I left this game on as background noise. Like you said, it was just everyone thought it was over, um, and it was a very casual game until Ottawa kind of they were just knocking on the doors of kind of that fourth quarter. They got the early touchdown to be like, okay, or the early score to say, okay, you're in the game. 
but then they just really didn't do anything. They weren't moving the ball well, and the questions start coming again. You go, okay, uh, is Dustin Crum the quarterback? Yeah. Is, should we keep looking elsewhere? McLeod, Bethel, Thompson, what's going on? And then it, Zach Caleros. Yeah, started with that pick. Zach Caleros threw a terrible pick six in the fourth quarter, uh, gets returned to the house, and that was kind of the, the thing that just spurred this entire comeback. And, you know, it starts with Crum being able to convert the first two-point conversion. So he gets the two-point conversion on the interception play in the pick six and then proceeds to lead a 94-yard minute-long drive to get another touchdown and another two-point conversion to send this to overtime. I just think those are the most impressive ones. I think in both of those two-point conversions, he put the ball in such a tight window, and that's the only way this comeback happens. It, it was the same route on on both of the yep. two-point conversions, just the short end to the slot receiver just inside the goal line. The second one I thought was incomplete because it was such a tight throw. I, I was very impressed by I saw it of Dustin Crump, but also just the Red Blacks team as a whole not giving up. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the CFL, right? And the game's never over. That's kind of the their motto, but... I don't understand why Winnipeg is throwing the ball in that situation to get themselves to to allow Ottawa to have an opportunity to pick pick six. They got so comfortable in that game. It was ridiculous. They just abandoned pretty much everything they did in the first half in the, or, or the first three quarters in that last quarter. And it's so shocking because when you like Winnipeg is the pinnacle of like stability yeah. and class and they're probably a th- they're like the Patriots of yes. the CFL. Like they are a, a hard-nosed no bullshit team and that was the epitome of bullshit. They got sloppy, they got yeah. cocky. I don't know what it was, but they made a massive mistake. Gave them hope uh obviously couldn't do much well actually they kind of moved the ball up to midfield when they got the ball back Mm -hmm. after the pick six and then Dustin Crumb just went 95 yards with no timeouts less than a minute left in the game sent it to overtime and then and the biggest thing was his rushing yard you look at the box score of this game he finishes with 261 passing yards and no TD passes and an interception. If you were to look simply at the box score, you'd say, wow, Dustin Crum had a tough day. And then you look down and realize that he led the league in rushing with 75 yards and had two touchdowns. So I think that that was really where the game-breaking aspect of this came in. Uh, on that touchdown, to get it to overtime, he broke out a huge run. And then obviously the touchdown to walk it off, he reads that Winnipeg defense laying back, and he just took it himself. That's some action right there. That's a quarterback who knows how to impact games personally he said you know I'm gonna take the ball I'm gonna get this done and he did it twice in a row it was amazing it was a great comeback 19 points by the end of it 16 sorry yeah goldfish memory on Dustin Crum just not to get down on himself just to like say okay most important play is the next one just kept staying up and it's you know it's very impressive because the media is not loving Dustin Crum going into this game and I'm sure the first half didn't do him any favors as well so it it, sh- it probably would have been really easy for him to go into that locker room at halftime and be like, oh, boy, like I might be losing my job. Things aren't going great right now. And he stepped up big time for this Ottawa team. And like you said, the East doesn't have that clear-cut second team. So for Ottawa to find a way to win a game against one of the best teams in the CFL with their backup quarterback, well, I guess he's probably now their starter yeah. for the rest of the season. Very impressive. They're right in the yeah. thick of things in the East, and we'll see if they can continue off this, yeah, this one, big win. Yeah, one last thing there. I, I think that's important because they showed a lot of things in this game that would give you hope for the rest of the season, not just in a comeback, but they held Winnipeg to 26 rushing yards. Brady Oliveira had nine carries for 16 yards. That's the one thing that this Red Blacks team really has going for it is their defensive line. They can shake some shit up, and they get pressure on Kolaros. They were able to stop the run. Those are the things that you want to see if you have hope in a football team being able to string together some wins. They get a second win in a row at home. Just a huge kind of milestone for them, and they get some steam back into their season. That game ended in a crazy way, uh, and it led right into the Saturday night doubleheader with Calgary at Saskatchewan, two teams that we really saw being the most even going into this matchup. Uh, and we were most excited for this game, and it really didn't disappoint. Uh, we've come away with a Calgary Stampeders 33-31 to win after some absolutely insane fourth-quarter heroics. The big story of this game, 
at first was uh, Mario Alford getting two punt returns. He had a 64-yarder and a 97-yarder. And before we talk about anything else, that was just a special performance to watch. You don't see that often. No, and you kind of realize it really quickly when, especially with how quick he scored that first one, you go, okay, so get one this early. And then once he gets that first one, I'm assuming that you just start to see the field in a different way. Everything probably just slows down for you. And it's just like you're almost playing a different sport. When you get that ball in your hand, you kind of know, and it gives you confidence. You saw that on the second punt return. Absolutely. Big time. He got it, and I think he knew exactly what to do and just cut up field followed his blocks, and just found his way into the end zone twice, which is very impressive. And I think we called the game of the – this was going to be the game of the week or the most exciting game. Mm-hmm. We were barely right, I guess we could yeah. say. I think it just tops the auto because it was just because it was the last game to finish that yeah. of the weekend. But, yeah, this was a huge win for Calgary. A lot of thing, a lot of positives for the Stampeders to take away from this game. Yeah, I think they, they had such a great first half. They put up 20 points in the first half. They were up 20 to 10. Uh, they had a 17-point second quarter, and I think similar to what we were prefacing this game with, when Calgary gets some things going, they seem to have a lot of momentum, but they were having trouble kind of carrying that through an entire game. We saw you know, something similar to that. They didn't put up any points in the third uh, quarter, but then they were able to kind of claw together in a fourth quarter where uh, at times it looked like the game was going to kind of get out of reach and get out of hand for them, even though they were playing with kind of the leverage of the game. Uh Something that was big was Jake Meyer. Like, we had a lot of questions kind of going into this game with him. He finishes 26 for 37 with 315 and two touchdowns, one interception. He is being serviceable enough that this offense can get some things going, um, despite kind of having one of the lower talented rosters in the CFL, I would say. There's not a lot of huge names on this team. Um, but he, w- he was good enough, and I think that that would give Stampeders fans a bit of hope going into the next week. Jake Meyer might be a name we have to remember in the future, yeah. right? Like, if he keeps showing performances like this, uh, 315 yards, two touchdowns, it's it's impressive because, like Damien said, before going into this week, we didn't know where he was at. I would have him as a bottom-tier quarterback in this league going yeah. into this, but he showed signs that he can develop, and there's a lot of potential with Jake Meyer that can be unlocked. Like you said, if he gets you know better players around him, uh, they can game plan better and just overall make it easier on him as a young quarterback in this league um and Saskatchewan obviously the main takeaway is kind of what happened with Trevor Harris unfortunate unfortunate play in the third quarter yeah it was I think it was in the fourth even like so they really got put in a spot in this game Trevor Harris you know I hate to to say this around any sort of injury, but I don't know what he was doing scrambling in that sense. Like he had already scrambled out of the pocket and he had already gotten about eight to nine yards. You got to slide there. Like he tries to take another huge tackle, gets wrapped up on, and his knee like pretty much goes backwards. He gets carted off the field and Mike Mason Fine, their backup, gets thrown into this game. You know, Harris is a, a warrior and you can't take that you know, competitive edge out of somebody's game. But as a quarterback, you got to be thinking about, like, asset management. You're the most important person on the field. You have to take care of yourself. Yeah, it's – I think you're right. It's easy to say that for us, you know, sitting in a booth right now talking. But I do think it was probably just the competitor in him that took over in that moment. He just thought, you know, I just could keep going forward because they were losing the game at that point. Yeah. And I think Trevor Harris was kind of trying to put it on himself because – Unfortunately, like they were throwing the ball, so they couldn't put it in Jamal Morrow's hands as much as they would have liked to. So it was in Trevor's hands, and he just kind of made us a, a split decision play. And I, the second you saw that on live TV, that play, you you knew that that was a brutal injury. Yeah, uh, it's probably going to be a season. I would I would yeah, assume. Yeah, I think they said it was a, a tibial plantar fracture or something like that. That it could take anywhere. I I think I saw it from like. 12 weeks to like 30 weeks like some insane one of those uh, time period so I saw the riders say you know we're not ruling Trevor out for the end of the season I'd be really surprised to see Trevor Harris get back on the field this year I would love to see it I hope he heals fast I think the CFL is a lot better with Trevor Harris in it and especially you know in a year where quarterbacks are just 
flying off of rosters through injury. I think that everybody's really just starting to hold their breath. And you saw that with the Lions going out and signing Antonio Pipkin this morning. I think that, you know, teams are just kind of starting to hold their breath a bit with their quarterback. You know, we have Vernon Adams Jr., but who knows? He could go down in the first quarter of the next game, and we have to be kind of in a position to maintain our season. So I think a lot – this season so far is kind of changing, I think, how – management and leadership are starting to think about the quarterback position and the league in general really yeah absolutely i think uh, especially with a quarterback like vernon adams jr who kind of plays a little yeah. reckless you might say it's definitely uh, a good move to have some insurance for him trevor harris usually just a pocket passer so i think you know that's not something you see often and i think it was just a stroke of terrible terrible luck so yeah it did set up sorry to cut you off however but we got to talk about this mason fine goes down at the end of the game they are down i want to say 30 to 24 uh and fine goes out on a 69 yard hell mary play that gets bounced around by the corners and ends up in tevin jones's hands it looked like a play out of madden it was just after such a weekend of craziness it was almost unbelievable. So that goes. They catch that ball and bring it into the end zone and go up 31 to 30, uh, but didn't leave, you know, not enough time on the clock for the Stampeders to go back. And Rene Paredes hits a 50 yard field goal to win the game 33 31 in another walk off. We had two walk offs this weekend. Too much time on the clock for Jake Mayer, apparently. Could it brings be- up an interesting conversation. Tevin Jones had some comments about how he let the team down by running in that touchdown and that he should have dot like should have gone down on the goal line beforehand and not scoring that. I was just blown away by that. I you played a score. I don't, I don't get that. Todd Gurley's got to settle down. Todd Gurley's had a left a bad impression on on the future no of kidding. football going down in play. Always go in the end zone. Always go in the end Your zone. Your D should be able to stand up and make that play. You get a touchdown when you're given it. Always get a touchdown. If you say you went down at, I don't know, two, the three, the the whatever. If you went down in play, what if you fumble, botch You snap, don't know that's a touchdown. And you needed a touchdown. It wasn't like a field goal was going to tie that game or give you the lead. It's you bizarre, needed man. a touchdown. And, I mean, it's bizarre. whatever happens, happens after that. But you cannot put that on you for getting a touchdown in the final minute of the game it's it's ridiculous i think to say that i get i get what he's like trying to say you know he doesn't want to put that on anyone else but i guess him so he's taking responsibility which i think is uh, a brave thing to do courageous but just a bit much a little bit of a playing football yeah we're playing football getting the end zone um but that did it. it was a crazy uh, huge win for Calgary. Huge win for Calgary. I think that they really needed that in their in their season. I think that that if that game goes the other way, they lose and, the season series already. Yeah, Saskatchewan yeah. goes up two nothing in the season series, goes to four and one. Instead, Calgary moves to two and three. Saskatchewan moves to three and two. Bit of a better or more accurate um, assessment of where those two teams are at. Saskatchewan, I still think, is a bit of an overvalued team just to those two early wins against the Elks, and it's only going to get harder from here on out without Trevor Harris. Yeah, we'll see what Mason Fine has. He he was he was pretty efficient in in his relief. He was uh, six of eight for I think 115, 116 yards. So he showed signs. He's a young quarterback, similar to Jake Merritt, twenty six years old. Um, he he has some experience. Like that wasn't his first CFL game, which obviously helps. Saskatchewan, but I would say when Trevor Harris is in the lineup, these two teams were even. When Trevor Harris is out of the lineups, I would have the Stampeders as the better team. I think so too, and yeah, it's going to be interesting because I've seen a lot of uh, Saskatchewan fans calling for Shea Patterson as well. He's who, who their third down quarterback has been so far. He's from Toledo. He's like seems to be a really big CFL quarterback. Like he loves kind of just grinding out downs. So it's going to be interesting to kind of set up a bit of a quarterback battle there between Shea Patterson and Mason Fine. Um, But moving on from week six, we're going to now do our quick reactions to week seven. We're not going to break down these games too, too hard, um, but we're just going to kind of give our initial thoughts of the game and what the spreads are. So that opens with the Elks and the Blue Bombers on Thursday night. That'll be the night that this podcast comes out. And that is a tough matchup right now for the Elks. You have Winnipeg coming off of a brutal loss against the Red Blacks. They're going to be absolutely fired up. And the Elks are coming off of a tough loss 
against Hamilton, and they are on the road for this one. The spread opened at 15.5. I think it's still that on some books. It's moved to 14.5 on others. Plus 600 money line for the Elks. This is, uh, I hate to repeat our thoughts on the Red Blacks Blue Bombers game, but this one's going to be ugly. Yeah, there's. The safest bet, I think, in the CFL would be Winnipeg off a loss. Um, I, it's it's a team that doesn't lose often, so you know when they do, they're uh, even more motivated than they would normally be. <laughs> Facing an Elks team who just couldn't be lower, uh, I, they don't know what their plop, like they don't know what is going on. Yeah. Uh, so many problems going on with Edmonton, Winnipeg at home. Massive number on the spread. I don't know if I'd lay that number, but there's also no way I would even think about touching the Elks money line. Yeah, it's interesting because the over-under is at 45.5, so usually in games like that you go, all right, what can I get from the over-under? Let's see. This is one of those games where I'm not sure the Elks are going to be able to put up enough points to kind of, like, it would be Winnipeg having to put up essentially like 40 points themselves, I think. 31 nothing. Yeah, literally. So I think that this one, this might be one that I just kind of stay away from. If there is a little bit of uh, scratch on a Brady Oliveira rushing yards, like if you can get that at a decent number, I think he had such a bad week last week that that could be something there. Just not a lot to this game. Uh, Kenny Lawler's back. Kenny Lawler's back. Yeah, Kenny Lawler settles a bit of an immigration issue stemming from his DUI back in 2021. He, at the time, was the best receiver in the CFL when he kind of left the league. Uh, And it's going to be interesting to see how many touches he gets in that first game back, if they're targeting him a lot, how they kind of work him back into this system. I would assume he's not going to take on a huge role in this game. No, they have Dalton shown like they already kind of replaced him in the sense of like getting another blue chip receiver who they throw to a ton. So it's going to be interesting. However, like if they're able to kind of get him going, it becomes a way more scary offense. He comes back at a nice time for them because they almost have a double buy playing the Elks, Elks this week with a buy the next week. So Kenny Lawler should be as close to 100% as you can get for their Week 9 matchup against the BC Lions, which it will be a marquee matchup in the CFL. Yeah, we'll move to Friday, 7.30. We got another great edition of Friday Night Football. Argos travel to Ham- Hamilton to take on the Ticats, and if we were talking about a letdown game last week in Montreal, I think that this could actually be the letdown game in the sense that just because it's Hamilton and they have such a rich history, no matter what, it seems that depending on, like, even if one team is great and the other team is terrible, they always play really close games. It's like the Habs and the Leafs. You can't really escape them. This game opens at an opening seven and a half point spread for the Argos, obviously kind of leading here at 4-0. and And I don't know. I don't know what to think about this game. I'd like to think that the Argos can kind of roll and win this game. Uh, in a bit of dominating fashion, but I really don't know. I, I don't know either. That number's surprising to me. I would have thought it would be less than a touchdown because, like you said, you know, throw the record books out when these two teams play. Would have loved it at six and a half. Yeah, it's it's in Hamilton. You know those fans are going to show up when the Argos come to town. It's, it's going to be a loud, like, ruckus atmosphere for Chad Kelly to play in, uh, who's obviously still not even had a full season of starting quarterback play in the CFL yet. You still got to lean Argos. Where, yeah. where do you have the over-under at uh, on this game? I'm looking at 48.5 right now, which is a number that I don't hate. I think that that'll kind of lean on Matthew Schiltz. This is going to be a big game for him. Like You're now fully in the spotlight. This isn't the Edmonton Elks. This is the undefeated Argos at home. So I think that at least the pressure, especially with this defense, really falls on him. If Hamilton can get points in the first quarter, in the second quarter, and like this, you know, kind of the first half, I think that that over-under can hit. Yeah, the Argos have put up more than 30 points in every single game this season. Yeah. So I would lean the over in this one, maybe play. I don't think we've gotten a 50 on a number yet, in, like, in weeks. No, you're right. There, I, I haven't seen a 50. And high-scoring games, too, right? Like, that Argos game finished 35-27. All four games last week yeah. were extra, all went over 50. Yeah. So, so the lines, you know, still kind of aren't moving that way if you're keeping an eye on them. Pretty much every over-under sits below 48.5. That Argos game is going to be the highest one, so something to keep an eye on. Um, we'll move next to Saturday, July 22nd, uh, where the Rough Riders take on the Lions at home. This is going to be a really interesting one. The Lions are off of a bye. They're 4-1 and one in first in the West. 
The Riders are coming off of a tough loss without their starting quarterback. The line starts at 9.5 for the Lions, and I think this might be a Lions tune-up game. Yeah, I, I, I love the Lions on this. I, I like them by two-plus touchdowns. Uh, as long as Vernon Adams just doesn't have one of the games that he had against Toronto and just kind of keeps playing the way he has been playing for most of this season, the Lions should kind of roll over the Rough Riders who don't have a great defense. They obviously lost Trevor Harris. BC just kind of seems to be better almost at every position Yeah, on, it, against the Saskatchewan. So it's, it's tough to argue against that. Yeah. I think that this is a game that's at 45.5, another intriguing over-under in the sense that you know, the Riders are going to have to put up some points for that. I, I know, I think BC is good for 30 in this game. I think that that is, you know, a given, but it's those other kind of like 16 points that are a bit unsure of here. Yeah, the, these are some tough games to bet this week. Massive spreads. Yeah. Uh, the biggest spreads we've had so far in the season, and I, I think it's more of the same in the last game here. The last game, it gets a bit better. This is more similar to that Stampeders-Rough Riders matchup from last weekend. We have the Red Blacks going to Calgary to take on the Stamps. This is a huge game for both teams. They're at 2-3 and three each. We have Dustin Crum and Jake Meyer, like two guys who are kind of trying to like slodge their way through the CFL right now. The opening spread favors the Stamps at 4.5. I think that that's a really odd number uh, in the sense that this game could really go either way. I, I see this as a field goal game kind of. On either side, I think that if Ottawa's defense can play the type of game that they had in the second half last week, uh, that this is a game that they'll be able to kind of keep the Stamps within reach and make it a shootout. Um, if that defense doesn't show up, this Stampeders offense is still good enough to kind of, you know, swing their weight around a bit in this game. I, I love the Stampeders. I, I don't think Ottawa could be higher than they are right now, obviously, with the way they, they came back and beat Winnipeg. Uh, Obviously, Calgary's off of a huge win, too, so I think it's two teams that are... It's weird to say for two two and three teams, but as high as they've been this yeah. season, uh, both teams want to get back to 500 and kind of keep going up from there and try and make their make their claim in the playoff spot. But I, I love the Stampeders in this game. I don't think Dustin Crum can recreate the magic that he pulled off last week, and I just think if Jake Mayer... Stays steady in that pocket, just makes the throws that he that he has and is available to him, and doesn't force anything crazy. The Stampeders can win this by a touchdown, which should cover the four and a half, which will cover the four and a half points. Yeah, I think that Dustin Crum's going to have to have a great passing game this week if they want to win. You, you're not throwing 42 passes again and connecting on 18 of them, like you know whatever the number was, it wasn't great. Yeah, I think that. If they want a chance to win, they're gonna have to move the ball and get first downs against this Calgary team and like get momentum in this game. I don't know if that's gonna happen, so I do like the Stamps four and a half bet. Um, but that does it for our quick reactions on Week Seven in the CFL. We'll come back to you next week and see how those games went. Um, but again, another kind of important week for a bunch of teams in the CFL. Kind of a bit of a turning point for two of them there at the end, and we'll see how it goes. All right, welcome back. Where now we're going to be getting into something a bit different. Netflix released a new docu-series following the NFL. It's called Quarterback, where they followed last year's season of Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs, Kirk Cousins with the Vikings, and Marcus Mariota with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, we, me and Patrick watched the first two episodes, and we're here to give you, you know, some of our initial thoughts on it. I thought they were really well done, and I thought my my first initial thought was within the five minutes getting like a hit stick compilation was just like a good a good kind of red herring that this was made by people who like football. I'm a sucker for that stuff. The audio uh, on those hits, just the noise. the, the Sounds like a car crash. It's, it's amazing. I'm a sucker for that stuff. Any sort of behind the scenes or un, unseen NFL footage, I eat that up. So it was pretty easy to, uh, to convince me to watch this. I'm sure Damien was the exact same way. And, I mean, the first two episodes really didn't disappoint. I've, I've been pretty satisfied in what I've watched so far. Yeah, I think the production quality is super high. I think people had some initial questions about, you know, Pat. obviously Patrick Mahomes, superstar, best player in the league. You want to get him. But the other two, like, people had some questions about it being Kirk Cousins and Marcus Mariota, and I think they've given a pretty interesting perspective. You know, you have Kirk, a guy who has been, like, a lifer in the NFL in the sense of not always the guy who's wanted by every team, but the guy who ends up being kind of needed by teams uh, pretty desperately. And then a guy like Marcus Mar Mariota, who 
was as big of a superstar as you could possibly imagine in college, pretty much other than like Johnny Manziel. I just remember that season, like all I heard about was Marcus Mariota and somebody who hasn't had the easiest time kind of establishing themselves in the NFL. I think the first episode was a bit more tame in in the sense of just setting up the storylines, but I think the second episode was really where we got like the meat and potatoes of some of the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, the first episode was definitely kind of bare bones, introducing you to them. Uh, probably more for people who like haven't watched the NFL and don't watch it on a regular basis, just who the hell these guys are. And like you said, I think it's a great mix of these characters, right? You have the pro of all pros, uh, Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, who who they <laughs> the interviewer said in the first episode, how does it feel to always be in that 11 of 15 category when people talk about starting quarterbacks? Oh, it feels great. No, it probably doesn't feel very great, but he's made a lot of money. And then Mariota, who's obviously just kind of been a little bit all over the place, hasn't had a the path that he probably thought. So I think it adds uh, more depth to what is kind of a straightforward idea. Uh, but yeah, the second episode, it's it's definitely it a op- better one. It ones. opens with Kirk Cousins. Hate to play spoiler here, obviously big spoiler warning. Um, but Kirk Cousins walks into his house and describes how his builder gave him a Murphy door so that he could hide his memory room where you walk in, and it's essentially like if a stalker had a shrine to Kirk Cousins, that would be it. He had mannequins in there yeah, with his... Yeah, a literal shrine. Man- <laughs> mannequins with his uniform on. He he pointed out this one spot. He goes, there's a little notch in the wall here for a Lombardi trophy. Like, I think that would go in the middle of the room, Kirk, not on the, the yeah, back Yeah, I don't wall. think that's going above your, your fake Minnesota mannequin. I... That was a very weird, but it's so Kirk Cousins. I know, and it's it's almost like you can't get mad at half of the stuff that you see him do because no. it's so painfully on brand. It's like his wife talks about how she dresses him, and yeah, it's a bit like more like a dad, but that fits Kirk, and it's it, everything is so on point. That was I, I was dying at that because you know that's something that we I would guess you know someone might say oh like it looks like your wife dressed you that day, but no, his wife actually dresses him, which I think is. Is hilarious because he he said it. he goes I put all my attention on football that's yeah. all I care about so I'll let I'll let my wife handle the the what I'm wearing that week it doesn't matter to me and he doesn't look ridiculous he just looks like uh not not an NFL quarterback yeah. I think is kind of what you he's just a middle of the road dad which kind of is what he is and I mean he lives in a very modest uh Minnesota home with just it's kind of like a ranch farmhouse yeah. he's got and, a nice ho- home in yeah. Michigan that's where the memory room was but i don't know if they did this on purpose but some of the juxtapositions are so funny because they're talking about kirk for you know like it's like 15 minutes on him and you know he's just such a good guy who tries hard and then they go to like a patrick mahomes doctor who works with him and he basically describes patrick mahomes as being superman he's like he has a spine that is better than 99 percentile of humans he he's pretty much in inceptible to pain. He can spin his neck on an eighty degree angle. <laughs> it's such a they were basically making him sound like a superhuman. Those those conversations with his trainer or there, uh, I don't I don't know exactly what his title was, but he he works with Patrick and his bonkers. I guess his de, what his deficiencies are or aren't, and how he's got a perfect balance of the left side and the right side. That was just like a really hardo sports science segment that they just mixed so into funny. quarterback. I mean, it was kind of cool to see, I guess, how how his baseball background has allowed him to make the right. the crazy plays that we see on, on a weekly basis in the NFL. But I think we kind of all knew that, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't think it was your... It was a big surprise, yeah. Like, I kind of tuned in thinking, you know, maybe I'll get some some knowledge that I just didn't know about Patrick before and I thought it was interesting that he grew up wanting to play baseball I guess it makes sense because his dad was a baseball player I didn't actually know that so I thought that that was a cool aspect to that I didn't know he played for like the Mets and stuff so that was cool but yeah I just thought it was it was a hilarious juxtaposition like it'll go from that like he is a superhuman athlete and here's Marcus Mariota trying to be a dad this like goes back to back no the Marcus the Mariota parts are Probably the least interesting yeah. in the way because I feel like his storyline is still building uh, yeah. for where Damien and I are at. We've, we've only watched two episodes, like we said before, but uh, the Mariota storyline has has not really developed so far in in these episodes. I think it's been a lot of cousins, uh, Mahomes, for I think obvious reasons. They they showed the 
the Bills Chiefs game in week six, how how tight that was. Oh, I got some notes on that. All I, right, I got some thoughts on let's that. I think it. that we were absolutely robbed of a reaction shot from Brittany Mahomes to that interception at the end. Like it shows the interception on the field and then it cuts to them like being quiet afterwards. I was just so wanting to see like that emotion just ripped out. I, I can remember that being such a great game and like I feel like the KC has so many numbers up on the Bills that like you need those little wins especially if you were a Bills fan that was that was one of my things from that game a lot of more Brittany Mahomes in this than I was expecting uh, definitely we've barely seen Jackson so far he's been in like the background of two shots yeah the first episode was almost in, like the start of it at the birthday party was almost entirely a Brittany Mahomes segment which was Interesting. Poor she's Patrick, kind of taking photos everywhere. Yeah, she's kind of exactly what I expected her to be like on a yeah. on a daily basis. Just pretty kinda, much. She's she's just she's down with the uh, the spotlight that comes with marrying Patrick Mahomes. Definitely, and I think that she embraces it pretty well. I think that I think they get a, a you know overhated pretty much. It's like a Golden State Warriors yeah, effect. It's absolutely. like Aisha Curry catching it because. Really, people are just so upset that Golden State wins all the fucking time. So you get more media on them and you see them more often. Um, but that was an interesting game to see back, that Buffalo game. I remember it being so you know closely contested, especially after that AFC championship. Uh, what else did I have here? I had... Oh my God! The apple cannon at the at the Kirk Cousins farm ex- or at the Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes so farm Amer- experience. So American. It's like a U.S. military grade cannon that you could fire apples out of and just just destroy shit. It was crazy. Yeah, it was a turret of apples, pretty much on rapid fire. And uh, I I don't know what that was. Such a weird scene to me. Well, obviously because I I don't think we have any of those in Canada, and I've never seen anything like that. But everyone was just sitting there watching. Mahomes yeah. on this thing. We're so happy to he, have you. Yeah, he was probably just like, all right, I'm going to – I wonder if that's what he does when he gets bored. He's like, let's just do something insane today, yeah. and just you guys are all going to watch me do it. <laughs> you guys are all going to cover this. There's yeah. going to be articles written about how I went to this farm. Yeah, and he, he went to town on, on those apples. He was lighting up, uh, I think it was like cars, hay bales. Just I, That was a scene for sure. Uh, we also got the you like that game. Oh yeah, I actually love that section of it. I thought that getting into that like kind of background on Kirk being in Washington and like seeing how far that quote has followed him, he's got to be sick of it by now, right? You'd think, You'd but it's think. in the it's in his shrine room. He's yeah. got the you like that towel with the game ball. So he he it's part clearly, of his history. He knows that that's a huge part of his career and yeah. how much money he's made so far, but. That was also just a great game. And, yeah. Uh, and you saw that big hit at the end. I had forgotten about him taking that hit. They kind of tease it for the rest of the series that that injury was really something that Kirk was dealing with kind of the whole season. And we'll see that kind of as we go further into the episodes. But right now it's just been kind of a good, like, setup, a good establishing of this season. I think that it's – I think the big Easter egg, like, that everybody, or at least myself, keeps forgetting is that they're going to have Mahomes winning the Super Bowl in this, and I just – I can't wait for that. Yeah, the behind the scenes of the Super Bowl, that's, like, the most sacred footage uh, of a, Absolutely. a fan can really get their hands on because that's one of the most, like, media lockdown events of the year. And another kind of Easter egg, I guess, is just Mariota struggles because his season does not get better, and they just – his. Like we said, his storyline isn't really there yet, so I'm really interested to see, you know, how he like handled everything. Because I'm, yeah, it's interesting. I kind of know what I'm getting with Mahomes mm-hmm. and Kirk Cousins yeah. at this point. I I've heard a lot of good things about Mariota's character, so I'm just very interested to see, you know, how it affects his family life, his personal life, and it's just, interesting because yeah. we on the goalpost actually talked about the Falcons a lot last season. We like did. we, they found their ways into our game recaps so often just because mostly because of their running game which is the interesting thing like I don't remember talking about Mariota a ton which is kind of the interesting I remember talking about Algier I remember talking about Corral Patterson like I remember talking about the big guys in their run game and that being their identity so yeah it's going to be interesting to see kind of how Mariota found his way within that because he I wouldn't say really was part of the identity of that team last year no, especially not at the end, and obviously now going into this season, Desmond Ritter's yeah. their starting quarterback. So, yeah, it's just gonna be interesting to see like his his take on his time in Atlanta, how his season's gone, and just how he's been able to handle 
what I'm sure has been a not his expectation of what his career was going to be coming out of college. Exactly, but that's where we'll leave it now, and we'll come back next week with probably another two-episode recap of it and kind of move you along that way. But it's some good watching. Uh, get out there and watch it. Coming up next after a little break is going to be our Open Championship preview. We're going to get into a little bit of golf and draft a team of golfers between the two of us to see who can do better by the end of the tournament. So stay tuned for that next. All right, welcome back. We're now going to bring you a bit of Open Championship preview. It's been a pretty exciting golf season. We haven't touched on it a ton, um, but the Open kicks off at Royal Liverpool. This is one that always everyone has their eyes on. Um, and it comes kind of to the end or the, closer to the end of men's major golf season. This is the one that everybody kind of waits for in the dog days of summer. And there's a lot of pre-tournament narratives. Like Rory McIlroy uh, won this event the last time it was played here. He's coming off of a Scottish Open win. He's really coming in as a favorite into this tournament. He's been playing really good golf over probably the last like three months, I would say. Um, but there's a lot in the mix here. The Open's one of those tournaments where it doesn't depend, like it doesn't matter if you're on top of the world in the golf world. A link style course, like an open style course, can chew you up, can chew anybody up. So there's some really interesting odds for this. And the way we're going to attack it is we're going to each draft a team of five golfers. And by the end of the tournament, we're going to take the top three scores and see who has the best team. And Patrick, you're going to open things off for us here. So who's going to be your first golfer off the board? Who's your horse in this? Um, like you said, many storylines going along uh, to start it off. And I think I'm going to go along with the storylines. I'm going to take Rory All right. first, All first right. overall. Uh, you said it. He's won here last time is last time they hosted a British Open, won the Scottish last week. I just think he's been playing good golf this year, and I hope I just want the drought to end of his major championship. Right. I think everybody would love to see that, especially – it would just be like a, a absolute narrative gold mine. Him Fitting. doing it there yeah. would be huge. Uh, I'm going to zig a tiny bit in the sense that this might not be the absolute next golfer off the board, but it's somebody who I think has gone relatively quiet in the last few events for what started to be such a crazy season. I'm taking John Rahm first. I think that he is somebody who's kind of primed to come back in this tournament and you know I think the majors really fuel him up and give him a bit of drive and I think that he's still one of the, like the best three golfers in the world and I think he should do pretty good at this course yeah I I I would say that your pick was between two golfers and he was one of them yeah. I do agree with you that a lot of attention has gone away from him from the start of the year Big time. I'm gonna take the other one I'm gonna take Scotty Scheffler with my second pick um there's been a lot of attention on him this year, but he's kind of had a similar year to Rory where obviously he won a ton earlier, but now he's just dominating but not winning in a lot of the statistics, like strokes gained. His putter's been a big problem, but I think uh, a link style course will work well for Scotty. He can just kind of launch the ball long and then just hopefully that short game is is. Well, it's the it's scariest thing, right? Like, if Scotty, let's say on the Thursday and the Friday, he's nailing putts, like, it's, it's he becomes an absolutely, like, Thanos-style golfer where if his short game's dialed in and he's hitting putts, I don't know if anybody will catch him. Like, he's that, he's that good right now. Yeah, when his putter's on, he yeah. is the best player on tour. Yeah, for sure. Um, for my second pick, I'm going to go Chalky here, just in the sense that I want this guy on my team um, because of what he can do, and it's the guy who won it last year. It's Cam Smith. I think that due to the live circus, he has fallen out of the media spotlight as well, and this is a guy who, despite playing on live the, the, you know, the past year, he is still super sharp. He's still playing great golf, and I think on a link-style course, on an open that he you know won last year, I still like to have him on my team. Arguably the best uh, short game out of any professional yeah. golfer. We we saw it on full display last year when he won the Open. So He's hitting everything. I think that's a very good pick. He also is flying under the radar w with the the live umbrella. Yeah, this so is where it gets interesting, though. It does get interesting. I'm gonna go European. I'm gonna go Victor Hovland with my third. I was pick where here. I was between with Smith and Hovland. Yeah, so I, I like Victor. He's been playing well in the majors this year. Obviously, he hasn't won, but I, I feel like his name's just always on the leaderboard. He's always in contention, threatening. He he won uh, he won Jack's tournament, and I, I just think uh, he's been knocking on the door for a long time, and 
you know what? He doesn't have to win for me. He's just got to find his, find his way back on that leaderboard like he usually does. Yeah, and I like that pick. I think that Hovland's going to be one of those guys who's in the mix. He's going to have some – did you see his shirt? I saw his shirt. I I don't know what to expect on the Victor Hovland kind of train right now. He seemed to get pissed off at the Masters when people made a big deal out of his shirts. Like, I just wear what I wear. Yeah, I can't tell if he's, like, leaning into it now. Or leaning or, out of it. I, yeah, I, I don't know it, what's going on there. If you haven't seen it, though, you're in for quite the surprise Thursday morning. He is rocking a fit. Yeah, a fit of all fits. So keep an eye out for that. I'm going to go with what seems like a chalky pick but actually isn't for this tournament. I'm going to add Dustin Johnson to my team. I think I'm going to go back-to-back live guys here. He has gone back uh, top eight finishes in back-to-back opens. Like he's been in the mix the past two years. He's right there. Um, for what it's worth, he's been performing in live. Like he's been doing well. Um, he has a solo fifth and a T eight in his past five starts, or sorry, in his past two starts. Um, so I think that you know, with Dustin, he's another guy who has kind of suffered from that live lack of spotlight. And I think I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with him here. You got a controversial team going on Absolutely. now. A lot of live going on. Um, live golf watcher on Twitter is going to t- quote tweet our account. Oh, he's going to love it. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Tommy Fleetwood. Oh, and I don't feel good about it. No, eh? I don't feel good about it. I'm shocked at where his odds are going into this tournament. Obviously, Me too. He, he hasn't won a tournament on PGA Tour. He's been runner up a couple times, but. Tommy's odds are at a crazy spot right now. He's rocking cardigans. I mean, he's just really leaning into the whole, you know, link style course. I think it might be too much. It's one of those, he's, you know, he's the media darling kind of right now, and I think I've just got swept up in that. But That's all right. He's a hot hand at the very least. He's easy to root for, yeah. I find. So if he's on my team, I'm going to root for him. I'm going with a European theme, minus one, obviously with Scheffler. No but kidding. Yeah, Tommy right. Fleetwood's my guy. I'm going to keep it American, and I'm going to go with a guy who has caught fire recently and I think has the chance Kind of like a flyer. I, I would take this guy fifth, but I'm going to get him now in case you go for him. It's Ricky Fowler. He's been kind of all over the place in the sense of he's been at the top of leaderboards. He's missed cuts. He's won tournaments. I think that this is kind of now leading up to a major, pulling all of those aspects of his game together in the past few months. I think that it's somebody who's like, you know, you could blink and he could be at the top of a leaderboard on a Saturday. Uh, so I think that I'm going to go with Ricky here. I also love Orange, so... I was looking into Ricky a lot. He's playing as good of golf as he has in the past 10 years, arguably. Um, So I I like that pick. Uh, With my fifth and final pick, I'm pandering to myself and no one else. I'm going with my boy, Cam Young. Oh, there it is. Cam Young, fifth pick. He's been playing terribly uh, as of of late. I mean, he did okay in the John Deere Classic, which was the last tournament he played and did not play in the Scottish Open. No, I'm not concerned about that, if you're asking a little bit. Uh, but I don't know. Cam Young finished uh, second in the Smack Open last the ball, year. Man. He was all, That's where he kind of broke onto the scene. Lost, eagled 18, lost by one to Cam Smith. I like it. He's my guy. He hits the ball a mile, just similar to Scotty. Find a way to get the putter in the short game hot. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate that pick at all, I think. With his performance last year, it's kind of a really like strong leg to stand on in that sense of a bet. Uh, I'm between a couple on my last here. Like, there's two guys who are always in the mix at majors, but you just don't know which one it's going to be. Talk it out. Yeah, I can talk it out here because I'm the last pick. I'm between Brooks Kepka and Xander Shoffley. These are two guys who are, like, constantly in the mix. Two guys who, when they put it together, really have, like, a solid chance of winning a tournament. Uh, I think that I hate to go against Brooks here because I do – Love riding with Brooks, but I'm going to take Xander in this one. A bit of an outside pick here. But I think with kind of the firepower and the chalky firepower I went with early on, there's only so many dogs who really, like, end up rising and contending in majors like this. It's not all of them, like, in the top five, top ten leaderboard scratching it out. Um, So I'm going to try and, like, get a bit more creative with a flyer here and take Xander. Love the name Xander. Uh, And similarly, a guy, yeah, who when his putting game is dialed in, when his short game is dialed in, He's kind of one of those dominant point like getters on tour in the sense that he shoots low scores. Yeah, I thought you were gonna go Brooks and keep up with your live theme. I know. Uh, I looked there. at both of them too. Yeah. Xander left a sour taste in my mouth after the U.S. Open, so it was I, tough. I didn't love that. Brooks, I just 
Just unpredictable right I now. I go back and forth with Brooks and how I feel about him. Right now, I, I don't know, not loving Brooks. The British Open, we'll see how he does. Um, but yeah, I, I think those are pretty decent teams. We, I, we're, we're fully loaded with names on both sides. Absolutely. I'll go through mine here. I've got Rom, Smith, Johnson, Fowler, Shoffley. Who do you have? I got Rory, Rory McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler. I got Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, Cam Young, and I also have who Victor Hovland. Just Victor Hovland. That was the other one. All right, so those are our five from each. Keep an eye on the Open this weekend. It's going to be a perfect weekend to kind of, you know, relax and enjoy some golf. There's not a ton other going on other than the CFL, um, and it'll come right to a head on Sunday. So that's all we have for you today at the Goal Post. Get out there, get watching sports, keep following, keep supporting the podcast. We love it, and we'll talk to you next week. Patrick? See you, you Damien. Oh, I cut you off. All right, see ya.